So I just had a baby, and living in LA, I decided I needed to get back into shape. It's kind of a rule. And I decided I would start running, because that's what everyone seemed to be doing. And I joined this running group with a group of friends. And I met this really cool woman, and we were sort of in the back of the pack and found ourselves having these really interesting conversations as I was literally huffing and puffing and killing myself. And after a few weeks, I wasn't getting much better at running, but I really enjoyed my conversations. And I discovered that my new friend Kathy was actually Kathleen Kennedy. And she had just left Steven Spielberg and she and her husband Frank Marshall had started Kennedy Marshall. So needless to say, my running experience to get into shape turned into a bit more of a exercise and determination to get to know Kathy and to spend time with her. And after a few more weeks of that, of six, it was literally like a six mile interview every Saturday. And so I loved and hated it at the same time. And after a few weeks, I fessed up and said, the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm fascinated with what you're doing. And I guess that made an impression because a few weeks later, I found myself having the very lucky opportunity to work at Kennedy Marshall. And that was a unique experience. Part of what made that so unique is that I had the unusual opportunity of living in LA and deciding that at the time I didn't want to work in the movie business. I had a unique opportunity to work in what was emerging as the digital space. So this was early 90s, and we were still talking about 14.4 dial-up, that ee This was even before AOL was, you've got mail. I mean, we are really talking early days. And I went to Kathy, we were working on Congo and Twister, and I said, you know, I don't want to do movies, I don't want to make movies. And she said, it's a really great piece of advice for me. Sometimes in life, it's more important to know what you don't want to do. I'm Jamie Goodfriend. I'm the Global Chief Marketing Officer for Wonderman. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger. Let's start with three questions. What would you say other people think your superpower is? And then on that same track, what would you say your superpower is? Most people comment about my seemingly endless reserve of energy. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. It's either my energy or my incredibly loud voice. And that is a, a skill and, a, and something I lean into. But I really think my superpower is the ability to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. I love listening to people and digging in a little bit deeper and figuring out why they're thinking a certain way or what they're looking to accomplish and then perhaps connecting them in a way that they wouldn't have seen coming or to connect ideas in a way that wouldn't be expected. I'm a big fan of uncharted territory and being able to look beyond the surface is something that I think is a, is a unique skill set. That's pretty cool. I mean, you've, you've thrown yourself into situations that you need that. I'm a glutton for punishment, I think. I, I was trying to phrase it a little more delicately than that. but <laughs> Well, I um, think it comes from, I mean, when I was in high school, I was a, a diver. Mm-hmm. So it always reminds me, I, you climb, I wasn't a very good diver, but I would get back up, I would climb up the ladder and get out on that board and do the best I could. I smacked my head against the board quite a few times, but... And maybe that's probably why I, I am the way I am today, pre-concussion. <laughs> but, I, can, I can sympathize. I have a couple of soccer stories. You know, was, we didn't know. Right. We didn't know those right. days. But I'm okay with getting up there and trying again. And I think that was a, was a good training for me. No doubt. What's there no substitute for? Curiosity. Mm-hmm. 
When I talk to people, I try to talk to the broadest group of people I can all the time. I want to hear outside the box. So I'll admit it. And you mean that in, a, you mean that in, the, in like the most honest way. Like when you say outside the box, you legitimately mean it. You don't just throw it around as some little term. No, I, I seek out alternative opinions. So I'm a diehard liberal. I listen to a lot of Fox News. I mm-hmm. listen to the BBC. Mm-hmm. I try to read scientific journals. I try to read things that I don't really understand and need to get the dictionary out. I really try to challenge myself and to seek out different points of view, diverse points of view, global points of view. And I think that makes life more interesting and makes me more valuable as a partner to my clients, as a colleague in my office, and as a as a human being. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up. I'm fairly liberal as well. And I worked at a hip hop station on one side and then there was a conservative news talk station on the other side. And people kind of look at me, you know, they give me the, Ooh. And I said, no, it actually was no, that's not, Ooh, it, it wasn't, Ooh, it was actually really interesting because we actually could have conversations and then we both learned from each other. We wouldn't necessarily agree on everything, but it was really actually kind of cool. Isn't that the point? It's not it hard is, to agree. It? Yeah. I mean, whether it's politics or, or with our clients, yeah. you have to have a point of view right? and you have to be able to defend it. Now, I also think a really important thing is to be able to say, I was wrong, yep. I take responsibility, or let me hear this and think about this in a different way. But that's a challenge because we, we live in a time where everything is so visible that it can be really scary mm-hmm. to have a point of view and then to try to stick with it. And that's in life and that's in business and that's in personal relationships. What's the most interesting conversation you've had lately? Well, I think you know I'm pretty fascinated with talking to younger people. Uh, that would be an understatement. That's an understatement. Yeah. And I spent a little time recently for part of a project speaking with a group of teenage girls. Let me tell you, they know what's going on. And they did not have their heads down on their phones. They were talking and they had opinions. And I only wish that I would have had the opportunity and the platform that young women have today. Mm-hmm. I'm so in awe of them. They were knowledgeable, they were opinionated, and they were opinionated in a well-informed way that made them feel like global citizens. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that they were looking at their own world and that was the center of the universe. They were aware of the universe. Is this in LA? I've had a series of conversations in LA, in New York, Mm -hmm. in Dallas, in Chicago. Okay, I was just going to get to the point where it's... Not all LA, no. No, no, because the middle of the country, everyone's like, ooh, they're, you know, ooh, I'm not sure what they think about that. I think we're seeing a shift in people's behavior. Now, we talk a lot about digital natives. Mm -hmm. That's the table sticks. I don't even want to talk about digital natives anymore. I'm so bored with that. What it Uh, means is... The connectivity. And what it means is access to information. And that is the tipping point that I think is where we need to spend time looking at what that's done and how that's changed behavior. So when you think about how we all used to live, as kids, you grew up and the adults controlled your flow of information. There were Mm -hmm. three networks, there was one newspaper. The adults in your life could have told you anything and you would have had a harder time figuring out what that was. Now kids, kids, teenagers have access to their own information. And now they don't always have perspective and they don't always have the experience, but they have access. Right. So they're aware and they're connected to people around the world. So they're forming their own opinions in a way that we, wasn't possible. So they're playing games with people from all over the world. They're communicating on social media with people from all over the world, right. different economic 
status, different diversity, different ethnic backgrounds, that makes a huge difference. Do you think that we as an industry, and what I mean by this is both internally in the industry and then you know, you can point the you point the spotlight at us and the media in this industry. Are we too fascinated with that the semantics of it all? Because it's, you know, oh, if you write a millennial article, everyone's going to be excited. I mean, where do you think our responsibility as an industry and then conversely as media in that industry, where do you think our responsibility is to tell that story right? Are you saying that if you, like for SEO optimization, if you write the word millennial, somebody's going to be more likely to read the article? not, Not specifically, but that's part of it. I mean, yeah. It's easy to go there because, look, there's 2 billion people between the ages of 19 and 36, and they represent a huge amount of customer spending. So it would be irresponsible not to look at them, but you can't defer to this millennial problem without... I mean, right. It's... That's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fatigued on it. And I think that people in that age group are fatigued on it as well. I, I think it's just, we're all kind of past that. Well, one of the things that people forget is that this isn't a new conversation. Right. Every generation going back Gen to X. Roman times. Let's, don't forget, boomers yeah. were hippies. Yeah. And so this is just the flow of life. Right. Every generation finds itself complaining about the music and the behaviors of the generation. <laughs> those that, kids. Those kids. <laughs> That's when you know you've kind of crossed the threshold. Yeah. I mean, Plutarch, the famous Roman historian, I don't mean to be throwing out oh, let's, Roman all right, we're historians. Getting Cl- we're getting Cliff Clavin here. I like there this. There you go. Right. He complained that... Roads were the ruin of Roman civilization, oh, and it was yeah. causing you know young people to not respect their elders. So this is an age-old problem. I think what's more interesting is to look at people, not personas, look at human beings and how they're evolving as thinkers, as mm-hmm. emotionally connected beings that are looking to make meaning in their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that applies to a Gen X, to a boomer, as much as it does to a millennial. Let's go to the must list. First off, what is a must do? You got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. We we don't like to be bored. We don't like to be scared. We don't like to be sad. We need to be able to be uncomfortable because that's where your best thinking comes from. That moment when you get to the edge, whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually, and you look down in that dark, scary place, and it's just you and whatever is ahead of you, and you have to pull yourself back on your own, that's when you get your biggest leaps forward. And I have learned that lesson over the last few years, and it's really challenging, but that's where the most personal and professional development comes from. Uncomfortable can be very productive, but sometimes people spin out of control on that. Because it's just a matter of managing that, right? And how do you how do you keep it from being overwhelming? Because that's something that you probably had to learn early in your careers. Is, is and listen, you do not have a shortage of confidence. However, all of us, no matter the level of confidence that we have, when we come up against something that makes us uncomfortable, you got to process it and figure out how to make it better. Well, there's two things you can you can reframe it. So sure. I've heard great advice where someone said, if you're an ambitious person, once you master something. It's time to get to the next thing, which means that you're always trying something new. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're uncomfortable. But it's a balance. You have to find a way to still have things in your back pocket that you know how to do, that right. you can scale. But you also have to be able to be willing to take on new risks, particularly for women. Right. Because uncomfortable by definition means that you're not in control of every element and you don't know how it's going to turn out. So I think that requires having a good partner 
whether that's in your personal life or in your professional life, so that it's okay to make mistakes, but you have to learn from them. I think that's where the balance comes from. Yeah. It's not okay to be careening around, right. making mistakes and not learning from them. As I always say, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. And whether that's how I've raised my children, how I've learned to become an employee or how I live my life, I try not to repeat my mistakes. What's the most experience? The most thrilling part of being a grown-up woman is helping someone else achieve their goals or to get through something that was difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm not that kind of person that believes that just because I've lived life for a little bit longer than other people that I have some secret sauce that I know. I've just done it more times. <laughs> right. So benefit of having that experience is being able to identify mistakes that you've made right. or to give somebody some context. And I've had a few really unique opportunities to help other people achieve their goals mm-hmm. or to clarify what those goals are. Mm-hmm. and. That, there's nothing better than that. I have right. a, a woman I've been working with for a very long time who I love and adore, and she had a dream. And we worked together, and nothing has given me more pleasure than to see her get to do what she wants to do professionally and personally. Right. And I take no credit for it. I'm an innocent bystander. But if I can say that it, watching her take that journey has been incredibly satisfying. I'm in the same boat with you. I've always told people for me to reach my goals, it's important for me to help others reach theirs. Yeah, what and, could be better? I mean, it's, it is really nice because it reminds you that even though we still have a lot to learn, we still have a lot to give. And if we can do both at the same time, help somebody along and then learn something along the way, then that's kind of a win-win. Not to be cliche about it. There's a reason there's cliches. They work. Right. And there's a, but there's a generational thing for women, I think, that it's True. hard for us to ask for help. Mm. And I am not good at asking for help. So by allowing someone else to, it's important to demonstrate that you can ask for help because mm-hmm. then people that you know personally or professionally know that it's okay for them to ask for help. Because we're all walking around with this independent, I can do everything, I am woman, hear me roar. And it means that, especially for women, if we don't ask each other for help, then no one else can ask for help. And that's just not sustainable. Not at all. What's a must read? I love Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. A friend of mine is a writer and gave Mm -hmm. this to me, and it's a lesson for life. It's a story of Anne Lamott as a child who she came home one day, and her brother was sitting at the kitchen table with a crazy, massive chaos of papers and books spread out over the kitchen table. Apparently, he had waited to the last minute to do a book report on the North American migratory patterns of birds. And he waited to the night before, and he was freaking out. Her father, who was really quite brilliant, came over to her brother and put his hand on his shoulder and said, bird by bird, my son, bird by bird. And it's a lesson in life about how you just go from, you can only do one thing at a time, and Mm -hmm. it's incredibly helpful and insightful. What's a must learn? Without a doubt, I'd say it's public speaking. Something you're pretty good at. Well, it's a- Come on, take a compliment, take a compliment. Thank you very much. (laughs) I've had a lot of, I've had really the benefit of having some great training. I have a coach, a guy named Bill Hoogterp, company called Own the Room. I give him enormous credit, really transformative. And I think the reason is we're in a society where- You have to learn how to communicate your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Some people have brilliant thoughts but can't communicate them. Some people have less than brilliant thoughts but can communicate them incredibly well. And we see this on TV sometimes. 
it just depends on how good you are at sharing your ideas at the impact that you can have. And it's unfortunate. I've seen a lot of people who are quite brilliant, but can't express themselves. And mm -hmm. I think that is one of those skills that it's just practice. It's practice and access to resources. And if you can practice and become even more conscious of the audience, it takes away the fear and then allows you to be you. The biggest challenge with public speaking is fear. But the audience doesn't want you to fail. The audience is sitting there. They want to hear what you have to say. Right. So if you can deliver it in a way that engages them, that makes it so that it's interesting and they get something out of it, everybody wants to see you succeed. Here's where I compliment you. We met some months ago, Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Singer. <laughs> You're not supposed how much to did tell. You, how much did you lose? I don't talk about it. Okay. I didn't lose very much. <laughs> I lost sleep. How about that? There you go. All right. Good dodge. Um, so we met and, you know, obviously you had a chance to speak there and I got a chance to get to know you a little bit. And over time, just getting to know you, there are a couple things that, that stand out to me and just talking with other people and just observing, you know, you're at Wonderman, which traditionally is not known as sort of, you know, and I'm using air quotes here, like the creative hot shop or, you know, the, that sort of agency, though there's a tremendous amount of creative talent there. What I find interesting is that you're not satisfied with the status quo and you've covered that quite a bit. You've talked about that quite a bit, but I think it comes down to not being satisfied with the status quo and with your team, you're making some very significant strides to keep the Wonderman business moving very rapidly and to move it in the right directions. But also it, it's okay to get the recognition. And it's been really fun to see how Wonderman has continued to evolve and grow. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. The other thing is with the status quo, it's about momentum. You are such a momentum person. You are all about looking forward, but you're not blind to what's happening in the moment. I think there's a tendency for people, especially in leadership, to be looking so far ahead that sometimes they forget that there are so many things happening at the moment, which you attend to very well. But I love the fact that you're looking at today with an eye to the future. And honestly, you're doing so in a very meaningful way and in an honest way. Not to say that there are people out there that aren't doing it honestly, but I just, I love that status quo, the persistence, the momentum, you know, all of these traits are Listen, I'll just say it, it's badass. So that's where I compliment you. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I think clearly I have a reliance on my team and we have mm -hmm. an amazing group of people that I get to work with. Right. Uh, that's, that's great. It's kind of ironic that what we talk about at Wonderman is we inspire people to take action. So while some people said when I joined Wonderman that they didn't really see it, now it's changed because this is a company that's all about action. Right. It's all about inspiring a different culture, inspiring great creative work, working with our clients to move things forward. And I do get to work with some unbelievably creative and talented people, whether that's our global CEO, Mark Reed, or our chief creative officer, Lincoln Bjorkman, or Seth Solomons, who's our North American CEO. These guys, they're fantastic. But we also have a great team of women. We have a great team of people that are joining the company every day. So I get to, I have great materials to work with. Right. I couldn't do it. It's yeah. it, I could, you can't do it without without the goods. But I'm not afraid of uncharted territory. I do like being a translator. I think that's a yeah, makes sense. That's a unique opportunity because I speak enough technology and data to be able to translate that to 
creative side of the house and the creative side back to the technology and the data side. And that's the, where the world's moving. You need people that are hybrid thinkers and that's a great place for a conversation to start. Every guest on the show gets a chance to talk about whatever they want for a minute or two. Without further ado, the floor is yours. We're in this unique time in the world. Some of it's ugly. Some of it is scary. I think what it's telling us what the world is, where the world needs a bit of opportunity is to start to remember that we have to have a diversity of thought and opinion in our everyday life. I think we tend, whether it's because of the algorithms we deal with, whether it's the cities we live in, we can get stuck in our own silos. And oh, yeah. that is not productive whether it's looking forward towards being a better client or better partner to our clients or a better human being, I encourage everyone I come in contact with to give people a voice, to have a diversity of thought, a diversity of gender, of orientation, of ethnicity, of citizenship, and not to assume that just because you see something in a certain way, everyone else does. The most successful companies are the companies that empower people with different ideas. And we're not set up that way. Most companies are set up from the old industrial age. 100 years ago, command and control, very military, top down the pyramid. And that's a hierarchical setup. We're actually living in a networked world where people have access to CEOs and presidents and athletes and artists. And in companies, it's important to be able to make sure that younger employees have a voice, that people who've been around for a long time and are experienced have a voice, and to be able to find a way to tap into that. Because when you talk about seeing the future, by sticking with the status quo and not listening, that's how you get into trouble. And so whether it's a business objective or it's a personal objective, having an opportunity to hear from people from a broad range of perspectives, that's, that's the secret sauce. Much like the must list, we'd like you to share one last piece of advice or wisdom to wrap up the show. So what is your last word? I'm still learning this, but learning to say no is critical. I've always been a, yes, I can do it. I'll get it done. It's where my superpower comes in with energy, but you got to learn to say no. There's a great book called Essentialism that talks about the power of saying no. I'm still learning it every day, but I encourage people to figure out what can you do and what you can't do, and to know the difference between both of them. Jamie, always a pleasure to see you, and great seeing you here in Los Angeles. Don't tell the Portland people it's one of my favorite cities. They'd get mad at me. I, I promise. <laughs> what happens here stays here. Thanks. But appreciate you taking the time. Best wishes. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. 